This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actual tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On today's podcast, you'll learn from two entrepreneurs that launched their brand through trade shows. In this episode, you'll learn what do you get from investing $1,000 into a booth at a show, how to know which shows will be worth your time from two entrepreneurs that went to 30 trade shows in one year, and how they use Facebook boosted posts to promote their own viral content. Today, I'm joined by Lucas Walker and Riley Wallbank from TreatsHappen.com. That's T-R-E-A-T-S-H-A-P-P-E-N.com. Treats Happen sells fresh dehydrated dog treats that's safe for raw feeders and dogs of all ages that want a healthy and tasty treat. They even sent my dog, Champ, some treats, and he loved them. Treats Happen was started in 2014 and based out of Toronto. Welcome, Lucas and Riley. Thanks so much for having us, Felix. Cool. So um, tell us more about your store and what are some of the most popular products that you sell? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'll give you a quick background on it. We were making dog treats for ourselves and Riley's aunt actually took some samples to a local pet store and he loved the quality. And so we made some for him. And then Riley and I were chatting one night and all of our friends were drop shipping socks and whatnot through Shopify. So we thought, well, why don't we open up a store? We can write everything off for our dogs, maybe make a bit of extra money. And if one of our dogs needs a, a surgery or something unfortunate or one of the rescues that we follow just brought in a bunch of dogs, we will have a bit, a bit of extra money to make some donations. So we started online kind of passively. And then in March, I actually lost my job in March 2015. So we thought, well, there's a couple of things we can do. We can try to make a run at Treats Happen full time. I also founded another company, so I was kind of splitting my time going back there doing some consulting. But there was a, a really big uh, pet event coming up called the Canadian Pet Expo. And I think it's actually the biggest sort of multi-animal consumer pet show in Canada. So we thought, well, we've got two weeks to prepare. Let's launch. We'll see if we, if we sell anything. If we do and people like it, we can collect feedback, kind of figure out the competition we can really go from there and see how things will go. So we got, had two weeks to really get up and running, and Riley can talk a little bit more about our branding and how we got the booth together um, so quickly. But we really launched um, that weekend, and we thought, well, we'll see how we do. No one's ever heard of us, really, compared to a lot of the big guys, both in, in sort of our niche as well as compared to a lot of the big tree companies that are, that are in the PetSmarts and the Petco's. So we ended up doing about 2,000 sales that week. And so we thought, okay, we're, we're on to something. If we can do this and no one's ever heard of the brand, maybe we can build a company out of this. So since March, we've been growing about 20 to 30% month over month since then. And Riley's actually come on full-time now as well. So we're both running it full-time and growing, uh, growing pretty rapidly. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I want to definitely cover your experience uh, working at these events, and especially how you validate it at, at, a, at an expo in a bit. Uh, before we get there, I want to talk a little bit more about your background and the beginning of all this. So you said that you guys, you know, launched this, had just an idea to do it because 
you have friends that are also running e-commerce businesses, and you're running it passively. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and you know, just kind of like a slow process? Because that's, I think, a common starting point for a lot of entrepreneurs where they start this on the side and you know spend a little bit of time, but don't really go fully into it. So tell us a little bit about what that beginning period was like where you were just working on it on the side and you know like you were saying passively yeah so i mean there would be days where we didn't update our facebook or instagram and it was kind of not the greatest because it was sort of a side project and then we actually ended up about six weeks after launching the store getting our first sale and it was someone who came in through reddit believe it or not and then we thought, okay, if someone we don't know will buy treats, maybe, maybe more people will. So we did a Black Friday sale and had a few sales that weekend. And then we thought, okay, let's start kind of bundling the products into a couple of collections. And the collections are actually by far our best sellers just because they're the best value. And that's sort of one of our biggest beliefs is that by going direct to us and when we go into retail, we, we go right to the retailers, you're, the customers are getting a fresher product and they're getting a better better value as well if they're willing to spend a little bit more to uh, to bundle it. And it's also, from a corporate responsibility point of view, it's also nice because it helps reduce the environmental footprint that we're not shipping out five orders, we're shipping out one, so it reduces the shipping costs um, that everyone's paying, and it's also reducing the environmental impact of bundling into one one shipment. Right, so these, um, just to be clear, these collections are basically a collection of all your products, and it looks like there's two main ones, um, anywhere between like $60 and over $100 for a collection while you could they could buy individuals for, you know, $10, $20. So you're also now increasing your average order size by doing this? Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of looked at, well, what are the most popular treats individually that are being sold? And it's the, the beef lung and the duck feet. So we put together our most popular collection and then we have a collection of where it's a little bit of everything or if you your dog is a really big chewer, we put in one of the antlers into that collection. So really just depending on on who our customers are and what kind of dogs they have, a lot of them too will will split it with a friend so that way they can mm-hmm. kind of bundle it to uh, together. But once we did the collections, and we the only reason we did it at first was we were running a contest with Dogs Naturally magazine, and we thought, well, we'll put the grand prize up on the website just in case anyone wants to buy it. And then someone did, and we realized, oh, well, this is actually like pretty good value. Let's leave it up there. And the collections, I'd say, are probably about 75% of our orders, if not more. Wow, that's um, definitely larger than I expected. I know that would be a majority of your orders. Um, so before we uh, you know, dive in, in deeper in there, and one, one last kind of topic or question about this topic here is, did you guys have experience uh, starting a business before? Because you know, it sounds like you have a lot of peers and friends that are you know, entrepreneurs, but did you guys also have experience launching businesses in the past? Yeah, we both did. Um, I'll let Riley talk a little bit about her business background. And myself, I've actually launched, it's my second venture, I co-founded a SaaS startup a few years ago that helps uh, marketers and content creators publish infographics online called Bengage. And I came from originally uh, a telecom background and my family had a family-run sign company. And so I left the telecom background to work with the sign company and run that with the family. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you guys both you know, obviously understand like the hustle that's involved. Uh, but this is like a totally different industry for you guys. Were you did, was it hard to kind of understand where you had to, or I guess what things you had to learn and 
was it a difficult time to make that transition, even though you had experience running businesses or being part of startups in the past? Yes and no. Um, Riley's background with the signage company has helped us huge in being able to develop the branding and really get launched quickly. We can be very lean that way. And we both have sort of that B2B marketing and sales background. So we take a lot of those principles and really apply them to our business, whether it's calling up customers or really trying to meet everyone face-to-face. It really increases the value of the relationship that we have with our customers, taking a lot of those traditional B2B techniques uh, and applying them to the B2C industry. Mm, yeah, definitely want to uh, touch on those in a, in a bit. So you, uh, you were running this for, sound like, you know, maybe four or five months. Um, and uh, Lucas, you said you lost your job at that time in March. The store, was it generating much revenue at that time where you felt that it could become a legitimate business? Or what was, like, I guess, going through your head when you guys were trying to decide if you should take one more stab at seeing if this was successful or not, or if you should go and look for a job? I was looking for a job, and really the biggest thing was that if the right opportunity for me came along, I'd go and we'd continue it to make it sort of passive. But the really the big thing was the Canadian Pet Expo coming up, because we could talk to literally tens of thousands of dog owners and find out, is there a market for this? Will people like it? So we figured if the sales went well that weekend, we could devote more time and resources in, into Treats Happen, and that was sort of really the deciding factor. We said we'll take the next two weeks and make see how how we do at the expo, and that's kind of the make the the close or kill it moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So let's let's get into this now. The expo itself. So you saw it coming ahead of time. Did you already know about this? Was it that popular that you knew about the expo, or did you have to do some kind of research to find out which uh, events that you guys should try out? We knew about the expo. We had been the prior year with a friend of ours, and uh, so we knew all about it. And uh, when we saw it coming up, we didn't even know if we'd be able to get a spot for it. Lucas called them. We were able to get a spot, and uh, it's a huge event. Yeah, we we called and we said, "Are there any spots available?" We just we asked if they could give us a discount and grant from the Pet Expo, who's phenomenal to work with. Did. Um, very generously, even though there were about two booths left, and he, he gave us the early bird special. And so we launched. We thought, said, "Well, we've got a ten by ten trade show booth now, <laughs> and we've got eight days at this point for to really get everything together." Because we kind of were on the fence about it for a couple of days because I just lost my job, and to get set up and go, it's you're looking at an investment of about a thousand bucks for for a good show to get everything ready. And I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of money. But we said, "Well." Let's do it. And we just kind of jumped in with both feet and we set it up. Yeah. So you said $1,000 to invest in a booth. And, you know, obviously you guys made it back or at least were close to it by, you know, $2,000 in sales at the expo. So with $1,000, can you break down like what you were spending that money on? Like how much did it, was that how much it cost for the booth or like what other kind of supplies did you have to make sure you we're ready for that, for the event? Yeah. The show itself, I think. After taxes and everything was about seven hundred after the discount, and then just so the various signage and things. But with Riley's background, we were able to get those printed and made for us at a pretty significant discount, as sort of a couple of favors, and rather quickly as well. Um, I, I know a lot of people in the sign industry, so it was a you know we I, we didn't fret about getting things printed and and completed because I knew I could get it turned around in a very short amount of time. And we have an uh, awesome graphic designer who was with us at Jiffy, our, our Jiffy Sign, which was our sign company. And I knew she she gets it. She understands exactly what I'm after when I send her an email with just written information. So 
that kind of made things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, going this route of going to trade shows and and events and expos, it's not a typical route that most, uh, I guess, entrepreneurs take, especially early on, because it is costly, you know, $1,000 to invest that you may not make back or you may find out that it, your product is not validated or nobody actually wants it. Uh, what made you decide to go this route rather than, let's say, you know, spend $1,000 on PPC ads and then see if anybody will buy uh, for visiting your store? I think that a lot of there's a lot of dog treat companies and we were just another one coming in and I think we really wanted to get out there and have the dogs taste our treats and sample the treats and see the product and have a product that you know it's just not another you know commercial bag like we went after a very clean branding we went after a very high-end branding and getting the dogs to taste our treats and why they tasted better because we were doing small batches and winning over customers by saying, here, sample our treat. Oh, no, he's a picky eater. And then they'd gobble it right up. Mm. Yeah, and this is one of the benefits that I've heard as well about meeting your customers face-to-face is learning these things that you would never be able to see or learn over the Internet, right? You're not going to be able to see somebody try out a treat and see if they like it, or you're not going to see a dog try out a treat and they like it or not by selling over the Internet only. Um, so were there other kind of benefits that you were getting out of being at an event live that you were maybe didn't expect to receive or didn't expect to to get by going to an event? I think that the other benefits is just being able to collect emails locally, um, entering in contests. And that's sort of something that we do is we go in to each event with sort of a priority of goals. Number one is obviously sales. And now that we've been around for a little bit longer, it's also meeting existing customers in person. Um, and then the other thing is really collecting emails so we can remarket to them later, especially if they sample but they don't necessarily buy that day. Um, we want to be able to, to stay in touch with our customers and potential customers. But we just thought, well, you know what, let's go. Let's see what everyone else is doing. I think yeah, meeting other vendors and, and you know, talking to them and finding out what's working for them. And, you know, everybody's very open. Most of them are very open and honest about, you know. What works, what shows to do. And that's sort of something that we've learned is that even if this show is a bust and we did, we kind of did the road show all summer last year and there were a couple of shows where it was just terrible, just literally three days out in the hot sun and like 60 people came by all weekend. But at one of those shows, we actually met a new vendor who, who supplies some of the products that we sell online. So even if there's not necessarily customers, you can really build those relationships for down the road. You really do have to go in with a positive mindset of even if, your main goal of connecting with customers and making sales doesn't doesn't happen, you can make something else happen that will benefit you down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you guys had a, obviously a great experience, definitely the first time around. Uh, but for someone out there that maybe isn't either a great at networking or B, never been to an expo or event like this before, it can be quite like, I guess, um, a whirlwind, right? You walk in, there's so many things going on. If you have a booth set up, you're you know, maybe focused on a booth only. You don't get to talk to your, your, the other vendors or your you know, quote-unquote competitors in the space. How do you, like, you know, through your, all your experience so far, how do you approach it? Can you walk us through like, the, the moment you walk in and like, what you focus on doing to make sure that at least the parts you can control make it a good uh, show? Yeah, I mean, we'll run some Facebook advertising leading up to the show. Usually, um, if we can, we'll run a contest with the show provider to give it a couple tickets and a gift basket just so that people coming in will start to look for us. We also just, we get there early to set up. We talk to 
everybody. I think that's a big thing. And just having both Riley and I, it makes it easy for one of us to work the booth and the other can go and talk to the other vendors, can go see what shows are happening because a lot of times there'll be entertainment. So maybe we'll talk talk to them and we've met a couple of our ambassadors through through that as well. Yeah, but I think also the setups, it's it's uh, your first time show. We walked in there with... You know, you're you're stressed out. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what other booths are going to look like. And uh, I think being as prepared as possible, building something that you're proud of. Um, we are we love our booth. We're proud of it. It's simple. It stands out. And I think it's trying to find a way to get how are you going to be different from the other person beside you? Yeah. And, you know, from our my background, I was able to, you know, do a couple really tiny things that made us stand out. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, can you share those secrets? Like, what, what do you what do you do at a, a trade or a show to make sure that your booth stands out, especially if you go to one so specialized that it's all your competitors? You know, they at every trade show they offer you a six by six table and you know a a chair, and we didn't want a booth where you had to stand in front and it didn't invite the customers in. So we immediately scrapped any of the furniture provided by the. By the expo, we said, no, we don't want it. We wanted an open concept. People can come into the booth and not feel like as soon as you walk in or as soon as you're, you know, looking at the product that there's someone right there Mm. in your face. You know, it gave them a chance to walk in to meet us. And we weren't always, you know, trying to sell them our product. They'd walk in, they'd want to talk, they'd have questions. So the first expo was really engaging with them and letting them know we we are knowledgeable. You know, we, we have dogs. We understand their, you know dog dilemmas and a lot of people especially early on and all throughout the summer said oh i haven't seen you guys before but but it looks sharp who are you guys are are you new and just being able to structure the booth one thing that we learned is always go for a corner booth and make it inviting like riley said so many times it's just two people who have been doing this trade show circuit for 20 years and they're jaded just sitting at the front of the table trying to hand out flyers and pamphlets we want to create a storefront because we don't have our own retail store. So for us, the shows really are that retail experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. And I was going to say that that's the remind the way you talk about it reminds me of a retail store because a lot of us are so used to going to more B2B trade shows or expos and everyone there that goes to it wants to network or is openly trying to meet other people. So being out in front and center, it makes sense for that environment. But if you're there and you you know, have your dogs and you're just kind of more shopping, you don't want to come across as somebody that's just you know trying to pitch and sell right away. You want to make it inviting, like you're saying, and get them into your quote-unquote store uh, first. So, so I think that that's a great point that, that I never thought about, but it makes a lot of sense now. Um, so now in terms of uh, finding these shows, you said you spent the entire uh, summer, last summer, going on a road show. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Like how many uh, shows are we talking about and, and how you set it all up? Yeah, I think we probably did, what, 20 to 30 shows last summer? Yeah, I think our road show theme called would be You Live and You Learn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll probably be doing about half as many this summer, but your first year, it really does pay to go out and do as many of them as you can, just because you never know what you're going to get out of it. And just something to add in to the previous point as well, everyone has those roll-up kind of displays with kind of a bunch of check marks of the benefits of their product because they go on sale on Groupon or Staples for 20 bucks. Don't use those. Everyone has them. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you want to go back to that point, we are, our branding is, 
you know, you go back to the trade. So you go in and everybody has these little tiny banners and, you know, everything looks the same. We Uh went, we went big. So our banner is big. Our branding is all over everything. And our branding is very clean, but even to the tables, our tables are created into branding boxes. Um, so we can hide everything behind our boxes. So, uh, you know, my theory is clean, simple, and big. Let them know who you are. People don't want to see boxes of product. They want to see the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely need to, if you guys have a picture or something, your booth, I would love to make sure the audience gets a, a peek at it because it sounds like you guys really put a lot of effort into the details of having a, a great booth at a, at a, at a trade show. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of all these shows you've been to, like 20 or 30 shows, that's a ton. of. I've never done 20 to 30 different things at all or <laughs> of the same thing at all in one summer before. Um, so what was that, uh, what was that um, I guess, experience? Like when you walked into each show, how did you make sure that it was, how did you know that show is going to be good, a good one to go to go, uh, you know, sign up for, even if, especially if you've never been to it before? You get approached at our first trade show that we went to. You get approached by a lot of different people who are throwing shows. So you get approached. You get a lot of flyers. You get a lot of people coming and talk to you at the Canadian Pet Expo because if you know they want you to come to their show, they want you to pay for their space, they want you to fill their their vendor space. They don't want to look like an empty show. And that's kind of how everything transposed. We started sort of with one uh, group of shows um, and we did about seven of those roughly, I think. And uh, the first one we launched to theirs was, uh, unfortunately, it was a very slow, slow show. And we sat there on May long weekend. We did, I think. The show cost us $399 plus tax for the three days, which for three days isn't terrible. It's outdoor. There was no power. They said there would be. And we did $250 in sales all weekend. One was a $50 sale to another vendor, and one was a $60 sale to an existing customer. It was just, just brutal. But you learn, we stuck it out. A lot of people packed up and left, and we stuck it out because we wanted to make sure that if we said we'd do something, we'd be, be there to the bitter end mm-hmm. so were there any red flags that that you now look back on and recognize that that would you know that the show would turn out this way that it wasn't that was going to be slow and all these kind of logistical mishaps that were happening did you notice anything looking back on it that you'll definitely keep in mind in the future for other shows that you are invited to yeah there was a major red flag we should have picked up on was that they let us go and start setting up without collecting payment and astute business people would never let that happen. And if they would let their payment slip, what, which is, should be their most important thing, what else will they, will they let slip? And I think also on, on that first show as well, or aside from the expo, but the one first outdoor show we did, it was mixed with another event. So it wasn't directly, it wasn't the big main event. We were, the, the show itself was kind of a side event. Um, and when we were driving up, there wasn't hardly any advertising saying, Hey, this is going on. So it was kind of, how do people know about this? How do people know that this is going on? And it just wasn't there. Ask for their promotional plan. And a lot of times they'll say a lot of, um, metrics that are really vanity driven, like they're going to be on a TV broadcast, but is that really what your demographic watches? Does that really matter or is it just a big number to make them sound impressive ask the tough questions like what's their engagement rate on facebook check out their facebook page if they've only got 300 fans well did they just launch or are they an established 
brand and what's the engagement rate like on Facebook? Are people participating or is it they've got 30,000 fans, but each picture that they post gets three likes and ask what their email distribution looks like. Really don't be afraid to drill into into what their marketing metrics are. Mm -hmm. If you're going to spend a few hundred bucks and invest that with them, you want to see that return. So don't be afraid to say, what are you doing for engagement? What, what else are you bringing in? And don't go to shows where you're not the main event. And also, you know, it was certain things like they didn't have our logo. They never asked for our logo. They didn't put us up on their Facebook. They didn't put any of us, any of the vendors up on their Facebook. And we really had to contact them and push them to, to create. They had said, you know, you'll be up on our website for a year. And that took until almost the middle of summer. So it, big red flags that we just didn't even think about. You know, you're, when, when we set up for other shows, give us your logo. Make sure, you know, we can let them know you're going to be there. None of that was going on. Yeah, give us your logo in three different formats so we can put up high-res versions across all our social channels and give you a link for SEO on our website. And there was none of that present. Right. So basically look for these, um, see if they have, they're running a tight ship or not. And if they're not running a tight ship before the event, then you can assume that they're not going to run a tight ship during the event itself. I think that that makes a lot of sense. hundred percent. Right. So in terms of the size of the show, does it, um, I guess, are you guys attracted more to the large shows, or a lot of vendors or the smaller ones? Like which ones uh, tend to do better for you guys? It really depends. As a rule of thumb, we'd rather do a bigger show with more people. But we've had tremendous success at small shows where through maybe five vendors and we thought, oh, we'll go, we'll see some friends that we know it'll be good to, to catch up in person, maybe eat some hamburgers and hot dogs, and then we end up selling out a product. But as a rule of thumb, generally, the more potential customers, the better it will be. And I'd rather go to a show with lots of competition because that means that the right buyers are going to be there. Mm -hmm. And you're usually going to be collectively all marketing that trade show as well. So the more people there are, the more kind of marketing power is behind it. Do you find that that's true? Yeah, as a whole. Um, if you've got 40 or 50 brands saying we're going to be at um, this coming show, then it's better. It'll just draw more people in, especially if they are also sort of a, a premium brand. Then we're not necessarily competing directly, but we can help promote each other that will both be there gotcha okay cool so yeah last uh, thing on this topic you said that next summer you know this year in 2016 you guys are going to pretty much cut the number of shows that you're going to in half what are you looking at or how do you decide which ones you're going to skip out on this year yeah so the first thing is obviously we're going to go back to the shows that we did well at um but also we're going to look at a few new shows and Again, that's so one of the reasons why it's so important to talk to vendors is you just find out what shows work, what shows you should go to, what shows you should maybe avoid. And then also asking your we do a lot of questions of our customers on Facebook and through email. We'll say, Hey, we're we're gonna pack up for the, the treats happen summer road show. What event should we be going to? Because if our customers are going to be there, we know that we're guaranteed to make a couple sales and they'll probably bring some friends. So that's the other thing that we do is we really pull our customers to find out where we should be going. Yeah, and I think we've also decided that as opposed to a lot of the smaller, you know, smaller shows, we're going to look at doing some of the larger shows. So the week long, 10 day long shows here in Toronto, there's one of them we're, we're looking at is uh, Royal Winter Fair. It's a it's a horse event. It's an animal event. It's about 10 days. So saving some of our, our cash flow from all those little shows and put them into the, the longer one. 
Mm-hmm. And when you go to these shows, do you see a spike in the online sales too, like shortly after? Or how does the, you know, it, this doesn't seem too sustainable to constantly be going to these shows. I, I assume that you guys eventually want to get to a point where uh, you don't have to go to as many and, and all the kind of marketing sales is done in a much more maybe automated way through through your store. Is that the ultimate goal? And if it is, like, how do you kind of plan to make that transition? I mean, a lot of our customers will first find out about us from a show. So we'll keep in touch with them and then continue to, to sell to them. And we do some subscriptions as well. So sometimes they might buy their first treats at a show. And then we just got an email this morning from a customer that said, my treats arrived in the mail and I couldn't keep my dog away from them. I love your products so much. So we can really have that first experience with us. And people like that they've met us and then continue to market to them online and for us, because we don't have our own retail store, the shows really are important for getting out and meeting customers face-to-face. And we've gotten, gotten into retail locations through it as well. So I think that we'll keep doing the shows, We but the, we'll just be a little bit more selective of doing bigger shows and we doing industry shows um, and traveling a little bit, bit more because the pet industry, it is fairly traditional that it is a lot of more personal relationships and Candidly, as as a pet owner, I'd want to try the product first in person before really purchasing it. So we do some samples on the website, but you just you cannot beat someone coming up saying, "Oh, my dog's really picky," and then their dog's trying to climb over all of our, t- our tables to the back of the booth <laughs> to get to the sample jars. But after each show as well, though, every show that we've been to, even the really slow shows, we see an increase of online sales. We see an increase of, you know, we try and track it. We we have postcards. So on that postcards, every show we are giving out, they have a a promo code. So we know, okay, this was came from this show. This mm-hmm. came from, you know, we we know it came from a show and not just something we've done online. And usually we'll email everyone who signs up for a newsletter. We'll email them a, a promotion right after saying, oh, we were so glad to meet you. If there's anything else you want, take 15% off for the next 48 hours kind of thing. So just to give the audience an idea of what's possible, when you go look back at all the shows you've done and you say, you know, this one was a great one and these are great ones, like what are the metrics looking like? How many subscribers, how many email subscribers are we talking about collecting? How much revenue do you, uh, you know, want to get out of a show to, to determine that it was a success and another, and, and which means that you would go to it again next year? Can you tell us a little bit about those metrics? Yeah, so a really successful show will be about 10 to 15 times the show cost in terms of what you can do in sales. And then when you're that busy, everything else is just gravy. And then in terms of email collection, we could be more aggressive with it. We don't, it's kind of a secondary thing for us. So we aim to get 50 to 100 emails per day, but it's not the most important thing for us. We're not out there saying, hey, sign up for a newsletter, sign up for a newsletter, sign up for a newsletter, just because it it burns you out. And that's not really the brand that we want. We don't Mm want to be Vince with the slap chop. Hey, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy. Sign up for our newsletter. That's, that's not our brand. That's not us. And if people want to stay in touch and if they find the information that we're chatting about valuable, then we'll say, hey, do you want more information? Why don't you sign up for, for the newsletter? So we aim to get about 50 to 100 emails per day at a, at a show. 
Yeah, I think those, those uh, metrics are great. You know, if that's something you can hit consistently, I don't see why you would uh, want to stop doing that. Um, so in terms of the actual online marketing itself, you were saying that you do run some Facebook ads, uh, but in preparation or to drive kind of interest for your booth leading up to an event. Do you guys also do any Facebook ads just to drive sales directly to, to the website or, you know, what's been working for you guys uh, for online marketing? We found that the the best was really retargeting. So we use Clavio for our email automation, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it to every sort of individual e-commerce owner because you can also create your custom audiences through Facebook directly through it. So whenever we have um, a promotion, we'll promote our products. We do a 1% lookalike of our customers. We can even segment it to repeat customers to get really granular of people who have come back in more than once. So we'll use that to target. But really the big thing for us is using Facebook to promote things like contests um, and any viral content. So we've had a couple of articles really go viral. So once we start to see it get picked up organically, we'll boost that up because we have a pop-up on the email to help collect more email addresses. So we'll, we target that sort of breed by breed, which we find to be to be the key. So if we write an article we had, something like 15 Frenchies in Halloween costumes. And that was one of the ones that went viral. So we boosted that to other Frenchie owners. Hmm, interesting. So you're using uh, Facebook to promote contests and also any content that you're seeing uh, generate some virality. So I want to talk about those two uh, use cases there. So the first one about to promote the contest, uh, what's the goal of the contest? Um, we'll, start, we'll start there. What's the goal of each contest that you're running? I mean, we could do a whole uh, separate podcast on that, but we look at each contest like a campaign. So we'll have ones that are customer loyalty driven, where the only way to enter the contest is to put in your invoice number from a previous order. And then all of our customers are put into a draw. Or we'll have ones um, that are really geared toward collecting emails or growing our following on on trust. So what we do is we assign different point values. We use Glean. And depending on what our goal is, we'll do something like shop treats happen, get 25 entries to the contest, follow us on Instagram, and that's only worth one point. Mm, interesting. So loyalty programs and also just to grow subscribers or grow followers and other, other mediums. Uh, which one do you, do, you, do you like the most? I guess which one's the most effective for your business? Well, obviously, anything that impacts direct sales will be the goal, but it's nice to have a larger following as well. So usually we kind of gear it towards making a purchase or signing up for the newsletter, or subscribing to us. Um, we actually just launched another contest, and it's a little bit broader, sort of helping us expand our social media. So we're saying repin one of our boards from Pinterest to get that out there. And that's all handled through Gleam? Yeah, Gleam is a fantastic tool. It's one of our most valuable resources that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm, that's awesome. So also using Facebook to promote viral content. This is one of the first times I've heard of anybody on the show talk about this. So you guys are putting together content on your on your blog, and then what are you posting it on on Facebook to your Facebook page and then seeing the engagement first? Like what's the walk us through the kind of thought process or or actual process of uh, writing the content and then deciding to promote it or to boost it or not? So in terms of content, that we create, we really have three streams of, of content that we post to our blog. The first is really that valuable um, content for any sort of natural dog owner or people who really care about their pets, talking about things like supplements and canine nutrition. We aim to have one of those posts come out every couple of weeks, but it's not necessarily the most 
viral content that people will share. So we also create cute and funny videos, just sort of one-offs of cute stuff we see on Reddit. We'll post up to the blog uh, just to get some content out there. And then we also do long-form BuzzFeed-style listicles. But for the listicles, we really go breed by breed. So we're boxer owners. We have things like uh, 14 Reasons to have a Valentine, have a boxer dog be your Valentine or 15 Frenchies in cute costumes that have both gone fairly viral. And once we start to see the shares from Facebook start to really go up or we start to see a big boost in web traffic, then that's when we might boost it and just spend five bucks a day boosting it for the next couple of days. So what kind of lift do you see um, from the time that you, when you see a, a post that has a good reception and then when you boost it, like how much more, uh, I guess, traffic do you get from that? The Frenchie one, the Halloween costumes was by far the biggest on Pinterest and Facebook. And we saw in about two days, an extra 15,000 people come to the website. Wow. And that, that, that actually turned into sales and like email signups or like what is, what were the results of, of those visitors? Yeah, I mean, our conversion rate was pretty bad that those days, but our revenue for the week was up, um, and our email signups were higher than usual as well. So it, it does work. It's not going to have the same conversion rate as someone coming to the blog to learn a little bit more about why you should be giving your dog coconut oil, but it does work, and all that virality does also help with SEO. Right, makes sense. Cool. So, you know, you guys have been in business for a little bit over a year now. You did a whole crazy road show this summer, both working on, working on it full time. Can you tell us how successful is the business today? Like, are you able to sustain all of this well, that you're doing with the revenues from the business? Yeah, I mean, we're growing about 20 to 30% month over month, and we're constantly adding in new channels. Um, the biggest metric that we measure is online sales. So we look at the shows and wholesale deals kind of separately because those can be hit or miss. If we do a big wholesale campaign and we get one huge order, that can really skew it. But like for between Black Friday and Christmas, we did about 12,000 sales and we're continuing to grow. One thing that I wish we did much sooner that I think every Shopify entrepreneur should do is get their products on Amazon.com. It lowers your cost to ship individual units, and it's completely passive as well. Yeah, that's definitely a strategy that I've seen uh, other stores take. Was that, uh, you know, I'm not sure how quickly we can talk about this, but was that a uh, decision to, you know, move on Amazon? Did it require a lot of work on your end? What was involved to, to get your, store, your products up on Amazon? It's pretty easy. I mean, Shopify is a dream to work with compared to Amazon. You can tell that Amazon was really built by engineers for engineers, it feels like. Uh-huh. We thought, well, list four products that sell on the website on Amazon. We'll send a case of each down, and if it sells, it sells. And we ended up selling out uh, two products really quickly, so then we ended up selling more and more. We sold out again over Christmas, so it's it takes maybe a half day to really get all your products and everything written well for Amazon. But once it's up, it's very self-sufficient. And this is through uh, the their own uh, fulfillment system. Yeah, that's through FBA. Awesome. Yeah, I think that I think it's a whole podcast to talk about FBA and everything. So we won't dive too much into that. Uh, but maybe to close this out, you know, tell us a little bit about your day to day. Like, you know, what is now that you guys are both working on this full time? Uh, how do you split the responsibilities? And you know, what do you guys kind of consume your days with? I mean, we're still doing a lot of it. We have found a manufacturer for about 90% of our products, but we still do make a couple of here. So if we need to make products, usually we'll be doing that in the afternoons, in the morning, working to ship orders out. Um, We'll probably have a logistics company handling that within the next few weeks. In the evenings, usually we create content while watching TV in the background. And then anytime 
that we're not doing that. Usually we'll hit the pavement and go talk to retailers and really do uh, more B2B sales. Yeah, it's funny. We were just talking before hitting record about how you just kind of fill up your time with things to do uh, and no real time to relax. It sounds like your your days are just like that. So yeah, any uh, closing uh, tips or any things that you discover either that you learn or tools or apps that you use uh, that you use today that maybe you didn't think of when you first started? Yeah, we were smart enough to grab Shopify POS right for from the get go, and it's been a dream. It's incredibly easy to use. Uh, so I highly recommend getting the POS. We just use the card reader, and it makes everything really easy. The other thing that it took us a couple shows to figure out, and we probably left a lot of money on the table, was line price everything to end in fives and tens, especially here in Canada where we have so much change. It we were pricing things at like eight fifty instead of ten dollars, and we probably would have sold the same volume, but we would have made an extra dollar fifty on each unit. And people are happy not having to have a ton of change in their pockets. The other thing that we didn't do was we didn't have any sort of buy three, get one free specials or bundles, which really drives up the sales as well. And then in terms of just little things that, that you don't really think of is come prepared. You're going to be on your feet all day. Wear very comfortable shoes. Get some some gel insoles. If you can, bring some custom flooring like those mats that they have for kids' playrooms. They have them in basic colors as well to match your branding. It makes the days a lot easier on your on your legs and your body. Bring your own water, bring your own coffee so you're not paying a ton from that from the other vendors. You don't want to be trapped paying airport prices and really eating into your profits. And then finally, one last thing is just bring everything that you will need, whether it's scissors, tape, zip ties, extra Velcro, everything that you need, even some extra signage just in case something gets ripped or you haven't opened it in a while. Bring anything and everything that you can imagine. You can always rely on others to bring you uh, some tape or scissors if you need it. Yeah, I can imagine that these are all things that took you a while to learn just from experience. So, you know, definitely appreciate you sharing it for anybody that's thinking about going to events or thinking about going to expos or, or trade shows. Um, you know, come prepared, it sounds like what you're saying, and no need to be uncomfortable while you're there. So, you know, make sure you have all the kind of comforts that you think would make sense for, for you. Cool. So, um, what's, in, uh, what's in store for, uh, for 2016? What do you guys have planned? Yeah, so we're really expanding our retail footprint as we go into more, uh, more and more retailers. We're also working on our rescue partner program where we're working with rescues to do a, a give 10, get 10 uh, promo where their members and audience can save 10%. Um, and we'll give the rescue back 10% of the sale and really building out the relationships with uh, our rescue partners for donations and having a long-lasting relationship to help each other out rather than just doing sort of a, a one-off donation. We really do want it to be a partnership. And we're also launching our dog walker program as well that's very similar to help uh, dog walkers with gifts or their own product that they use on dog walks and to provide their clients with a discount as well. And then we're also adding a few more products in, running in beef tracheos, so a great dental chew, as well as sweet potato for uh, dogs that want to really watch their protein or want more of a vegetarian option. And we're also adding in some kangaroo for very hypoallergenic dogs. Can I give the listeners a promo code? Yeah, please. Yeah, use uh, Shopify Masters for 10% off your purchase. Thanks so much, Lucas and Riley. Treatshappen.com. What's the best way for listeners to to stay in touch with you guys? Yeah, um, just find us... Um, Info at treatshappen.com if they want to send us an email, sign up for the newsletter. We're on Facebook and Instagram mostly. We check Pinterest and Twitter, but not as actively. Um, Everything's treats happen, um, all one word.
Yeah, and we actually just launched another contest, so we're giving out a, a few gift codes and a grand prize uh, supersized collection to Treats Happen. So if you do have a dog and you want to win some some gift codes, come uh, come check us out. It's right there on the front page of TreatsHappen.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit Shopify.com for a free 14-day trial. 